Hello and welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Wal Hattar. And today we'll be talking about Safar, the magazine, which is the brainchild of Studio Safar, a design studio in Beirut. And with me are the co-owners, co-founders, co-directors of it, who are Maya Mumni and Hatem Imam. Hello. Hi. Hello. And their pets in the studio. Uh, we have two cute dogs here. I don't remember their names. Hatem, will tell us. Um, you have Beju and you have uh, also... Suki. Yeah, Suki is the one that's, that's barking, but she'll be managed soon enough. So Hatem, would you tell us a little bit about the studio suffer and then how the magazine came out of it? Uh, Maya and I started the studio in 2012. Uh, we had two other business partners with us at the time, but uh, now it's just uh, uh, Maya and me. And uh, basically, we've always been, you know, like since the beginning, we've always been interested in working uh, for the cultural sector. So we had a lot of, um, uh, you know, like artists and uh, other designers and photographers and, uh, you know, music festivals and what have you. This was really the focus of our work. Um, and also, we've always wanted, you know, we've always uh, dreamt of uh, publishing material that is about uh, design and visual culture. Um, and uh, as soon as we started the studio, we decided, you know, like, we have to do this. This is going to be something that's very important for us. Um, on one hand, to keep us, you know, like, um, uh, researching and thinking about design in the region, but also to open up a platform where people could, you know, like, interact and talk and be critical and, you know, like, showcase work that's happening. So let me get the chicken-egg question out of the way. So did you want a magazine before you opened up the studio and ended up working with all these cultural situations, or did all these cultural projects push you towards realizing this magazine? Actually, we started with the studio, and that's what we wanted to do from the very beginning. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and answer for Hatem. Hatem had already started a magazine before the studio um, opened, and that's Samandal. It's the first comics magazine to come out of uh, the Arab region. And so, but we didn't have um, a design magazine in mind when we decided to uh, partner up and open up the studio. We had the studio in mind. Um, and while we were, you know, operating and working on different projects, we, uh, we realized that there is no magazine in the region that covers graphic design in particular. And so we decided to start that. Uh, when I say design, I mean graphic design. And uh, on the ladder of design, there's uh, product design, industrial design, architecture, fashion design. I'm sure I'm missing a few, but graphic design comes at the very end of this ladder, both, both um, uh, economically and in terms of, uh, of uh, uh, cultural production. So the focus of this magazine really is graphic design and its relationship to visual culture. Okay, so it's kind of uh, the cultural the cultural translation of of how design affects everything out around us in a sense. Absolutely. Um, so why uh, why have it in Arabic and English versus just one language? Um, basically, the the there's a few reasons for this. One of them is the pure um, um, interest in translation itself as, as an art form. Uh, to think about it, you know, like in terms of, you know, like as, as an art form related to literature, we are fascinated by the idea of, of translation. We're fascinated by translators who, uh, who manage to 
um, when they do translate a text from one language to the other, do not generate, you know, like a, a, some kind of like equivalent, but generate, you know, like a new text somehow that is, you know, um, uh, rereading or reinterpreting, you know, like the original text. So this this is one of the the things that we're interested in, and this of course comes as a byproduct. I mean, our interest probably came as a byproduct of the fact that we often are uh, forced to use two languages or mm-hmm. to design in two languages. So, you know, multilingualism is obviously part of any post-colonial country's, uh, you know, like visual culture or design culture. Um, but we found that, you know, like there could be something that's very enriching in this process of translation uh, rather than think about it as a burden, think about it as, you know, an opportunity to, to, to think about how we could use the Arabic language in, in new ways. The other part that also is very important for us is to preserve these documents and to to open to be able to open up this discourse you know even f- down the line in the future to be able for you for people to be able to still read about this topic in Arabic and this is something that's very rare it's very rare to find uh, texts that are I mean we studied graphic design in, in English or French I mean in Lebanon this is typically the language that it's taught in and we we are much more comfortable uh, uh, talking about design in, in English or in French. Uh, so we thought, you know, like we need to actually keep, if, if we want, if we are interested in the Arabic language and keeping it alive, we need to, you know, like do this, you know, do this effort of, of at, at the beginning translating into Arabic. Um, and of course, the other, the other important effort is writing about design in Arabic to begin with. I'd love to talk about writing and preservation of, of the articles uh, later on, but right now a few questions about Arabic, because as, as a designer, and you both have graduated from American University of Beirut in Design, and as you said, it was Arabic, English mainly. We took a little bit of Arabic here and there. Did you have to create new words in design? Because a lot of them are technically just English. How did that go about? That was also one of the interesting things about um, producing this magazine in both languages is that there is no dictionary for graphic design in Arabic. Um, What is even graphic design in Arabic? This is is the technical name, and I have an anecdote about this if you want. At some point, I'll, I'll tell it. But it's also called Tasmim al Grafiki in Arabic, in fact. Um, and in the past, we've gotten a comment from, uh, from a colleague about uh, the magazine being produced in both languages. Um, I'm going to use an Arabic word here, out of Rafa'atab, which means just for the sake of. Um, but actually, there is a, 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 an audience for the magazine. Uh, that come from countries where they don't speak English as a second language. And that's why it's important for us to have it in both languages. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is uh, that's where the title Safar comes from. It's, uh, it's the travel between uh, communication and languages. Okay. That's interesting. Um, any, any word that you guys have coined that we can share and explain? In terms of, uh, you, you mean graphic design words? Um, I mean, the, we have basically we have a very strong um, translator, Hassan Nasruddin. He is a brilliant uh, designer. He he was my student at AUB, and then he worked with Studio Safar as a designer for a while. Um, but he is also a poet and a translator, and uh, and now and of course an, an, an artist as well. Um, so he he is the person who's translating everything to Arabic, and he is coining you know a lot of. It's not necessarily inventing new words. It's just a matter of you know like how can I device language in a way to to express these particular ideas. I cannot think of uh, of one word you know like that comes to mind like this, but 
I could I could look up some some stuff and you know like find you know like interesting ways in which he has talked about you know like these these ideas or these you know more more or less abstract design themes. Thank you. Um, and so for everybody listening, this is an annual magazine. So it started off in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, issue one was 2014, 2015, 16, and then you guys had a couple of years break, and then this year. Mm-hmm. So. Why the break with this one? Um, actually, so it, it, it did start off as an annual magazine, um, it, but it's going to be produced every two years, uh, twice a year, sorry, now instead of once a year. And um, the, the break, uh, so, so the, 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 the difference between issue four and uh, issue five, sorry, issue three and issue four um, is, uh, is quite grand. The format of the magazine has changed. The binding of the magazine has changed. And actually, the articles themselves have changed. Um, the previous issues covered uh, design and visual culture um, in a slightly more abstract way. And we were interested in actually creating articles that were a lot more accessible than the previous ones were. Um, and I think we needed that two-year break you know, to put everything on paper and s- step back a bit and look at everything from uh, from a macro level before continuing. I don't think we're there yet with the magazine, but uh, but I think that you know, issue to issue, it's taking us there. So, what I understand is that you're reducing the technical jargon in it and having it kind of layman in the sense. Uh, the opposite, actually. We're making it more a little bit more technical. Um, that happened in issue three with uh, Ahmad Gherbi's article on the design of the Lebanese passport. That's much more technical than, say, uh, um, uh, my article, which was about uh, the obsessions of, of a singular object. I'm not going to reveal what the object is. but um, Or, say, uh, um, Tala Safiya and Noel Paul's contribution which somebody like, uh, say, my mother probably would not have understood that article. Um, whereas the article of Ahmad Gherbi definitely speaks to a larger audience, and it actually does put hand-in-hand design uh, and culture together. And how do you guys pick these topics that happen, or even the themes of, uh, because as I understand correctly, each issue is a specific theme that you get the writers and photographers to collaborate mm-hmm. Um, I mean, basically, we, uh, you know, like we brainstorm, you know, sometimes it's an, it's an idea that comes, you know, pops in, in either of our heads, and, you know, like we discuss it, and if we're excited about it, we'll start working on it. Um, it's, it's quite organic, but, I mean, again, in the shift, you know, that Maya was talking about from the previous issues to the latest, uh, issue four, um, is also because, you know, s- somehow we were proposing a theme to some contributors and, you know, like leaving it there and letting them work on, you know, whatever they wanted to propose. And this created, you know, like, I mean, like the, the, there wasn't a clear focus somehow in the, in the, in the previous magazines. Um, this issue is much more focused. We sat with every contributor and we came to them with a clear if you want brief, you know, like we want you to write about this particular topic because we're interested in how it relates to the current theme of nostalgia for, for issue four. So this is why it became much more focused and, it, and it's more and more related to design. But of course, Yanni, the, 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 maybe this sounds a little bit paradoxical. It is more focused. It is more, um, if you want, professional or academic or related to the profession of graphic design, but it's presented in a way the form of it is more accessible, okay? Whereas before, the, the, the themes were, could, be, could be a little bit more you know, unrelated to, to, 
the design or graphic design uh, per se, and they would be kind of like more dreamy and more you know mm. like open ended somehow. And how do you go about picking uh, these contributors? Is there a list that you usually work from, or just is it an open call, or uh, is it somebody that you've wanted to work with that you give them a title? It's really a midnight project. Uh, one of us will wake up in the middle of the night and think about a particular contributor and wait for the next day to tell the other person, um, and then we'll contact them. In the case of the next issue, which comes out in December, uh, we actually do have a list. <laughs> um, so how do you keep this list fresh and alive versus just kind of uh, people that you know around you? Uh, for the next issue, we're actually contacting uh, people we know in different cities. So uh, uh, off the top of my head right now, there's um, Morocco, uh, uh, Tangier in specific, Cairo, Amman, and Ramallah. And what we're going to be doing is contacting people that we know from these cities to put us in touch with uh, designers and writers also from these cities. And hopefully we'll, you know, have enough time to visit these cities and meet with the contributors in person. Oh, that's exciting, actually. Brilliant. So Safar is traveling to get to all these places and kind of getting it written on. So now if you want to talk uh, a little bit technically, right? Um, in a day and age where everything is digital, everyone's going kind of cyber, you guys are putting effort into producing print, and, and, and to archive all this information about design, uh, especially that it's, it's in Arabic and it's quite rare. So explain to me how, how that is going on. So you do produce a print, but then do you upload it all online? Or how does it go? How do you archive it? And why print? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, like there's, you know, everybody's, you know, like this, this whole craze of, you know, like print is dead, whatever, you know, this kind of past. And, you know, like we know that, you know, around the world there are, many more uh, print magazines that are being produced today that have excellent uh, quality c- uh, content and that uh, you know are crafted in terms of like how they are produced and how they are designed as objects and what have you so i think that you know like you know for us personally the 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 object of a printed uh, a magazine or book um, always has an enduring and a much more powerful effect than that of you know like information that you can find online. Again, I don't think that these two things, these two worlds, um, are one and the same. I think that they function in uh, um, in different ways in delivering you know different kinds of information, and they have a, it's a different learning experience. And both of them are very important. So we do read, of course, you know a lot of stuff online, and it's very important. It's it's not out of nostalgia you know, that we are producing a printed magazine. It is actually because we believe that this form is important. It's important for, you know, the, w- the way in which you, you hold this book and you experience it, that, you know, and, and the way in which you pass this on, the places in which you read uh, a magazine such as this. It's, it's again, um, it has, you know, like a, a different way of operating as an object and, again, as an ob- object, in, as a cultural object. From that end, I understand because I had bought uh, a magazine for somebody else when I went to your launch, and you can make it so it was more of that kind of object giving to somebody. And it's not necessarily the cheapest, so it's like a mini gift as well when you when you consider that. But we can talk about budget and marketing a little bit later. But but then, how do we going back to the question about archiving? And so, how are you preserving this information besides the paper that will 
go away. Just one more thing to uh, uh, elaborate a bit on what Hatem was saying. Uh, the fact that the, the, the entire uh, uh, past uh, collection of the past issues is uh, uh, on their way to uh, uh, two major universities uh, and will be part of their archives uh, can in no way be replaced with a digital magazine. Um, and in that sense, it is actually there in archive, the text in Arabic on graphic design. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I can also add that, you know, like, the, we're talking about graphic design, and graphic design's history is related to the history of printing, yeah. you know? So it, it, it kind of, like, seems like an obvious thing that we, we do need to still think about printing or printmaking, you know, like, as a method of disseminating knowledge uh, when, when we're talking about graphic design. You see what I mean? So, so I think it's, it's quite like, um, uh, you know, like a demonstration also of where we've come to in terms of the technology of printing, because even if we think about like the most ancient you know, type of printing, this is technology that has influenced and affected the history of design, the history of uh, 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 typography, the history of you know, like whatever, any kind of aspect of, of design or of publication design is affected by the technology that was reproducing it. And again, you know, this is still the case today. So when we're thinking about like how we're printing and not only that, you know, even in terms of the way that the publication is, um, that the, the, uh, the magazine is uh, created now, the, the bilingual issue, how it's being solved uh, technically, mm -hmm. you know, how we, you navigate the magazine from right to left and left to right and whatever, all of these things are integral questions that are related to um, conceptually design, but also formally in, in the actual object of this magazine. Um, and is there any way that you guys have or would release some of the articles uh, as is, not for necessarily the whole magazine, but article itself online for people to be able to research it or use it for something else? The website we're working on, the actual real version of the website that's not on online yet, um, will be an online platform that is in one way or another an extension to the magazine. And uh, part of the articles that we publish in the print magazine will be available online in addition to material that will never make it to the print edition. So in a way, you're, uh, you're, it's like the extras of a DVD. So you get the magazine, and then you go online, and you get, or you, you're able to contact, communicate, interact with said article, especially the ones that you post, or get the extra behind-the-scenes information. Of it. That's quite interesting, especially when, like with the recent article, you had a whole um, collection of photographs that were done for a, an older foreign article, so it was not something new, which was the drag scene in Lebanon. And in that, I would assume people would be a lot interested in the photographs and the behind the scenes, especially that it didn't have an accompanying uh, write-up. So we've discussed the, the online distribution in a way and uh, of, the, of the website that's coming. And we had chatted a little bit offline about why your website is just a sticker. And you guys were saying that's about something in, in Lebanon, but, but I'm assuming it's the Arab world, which is... Was the site? Basically, the, the website was built on Wix, and uh, recently it was revealed that Wix is an Israeli company. So, uh, so the website, you know, any website that is on Wix uh, is not operational anymore in, on, in Lebanon. So, we had a, 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 a website that is a little bit more advanced than than what what exists right now, uh, but it was. Uh, it's down now, so we, we had to create something really quick just to have a presence for the time being. I also wanted to say one more thing about like the online versus print. Um, uh, the the way in which we are going to use the online platform, also for me, it's it's a question of using it 
in in what it could provide you know so for example like we're we're very interested in creating video content and this obviously you cannot you cannot see in print so the website would be the place for for something like that no i'm also assuming because for us with our podcast which is mainly just a, a voice platform we're also using instagram for all the visuals that company especially when we're talking about art and design we always have those attached to that so in a way it's, it's understandable how you can mix and match and i'm assuming slash hoping that this interview would be something that would be on uh, on the website because it does connect to stuff like that and it's quite interesting but then now if you want to talk about uh, reach okay so you guys have published this and this is something that is lebanon based in general um, are people able to buy it outside Uh, so it's not actually Lebanon-based. It's available in a few bookstores in Lebanon, but it's also available in uh, Amman, in Cairo, um, in, uh, in North America, and in uh, several European countries. Okay. And how did that happen? How did you guys uh, create this distribution? We contacted the bookstores one by one, took them with us in our suitcases, delivered them personally to the shops, followed up with them by email, and then replenished whenever we could and however way we can. So uh, so Studio Safar, the, the, the actual studio, is the publisher and distributor of this magazine as well? Studio Safar is the publisher. Hatem, Imam, and Maya Mumni are the distributors. Okay. <laughs> but um, for this current issue, uh, we've hired a, a European distribution agency and a Lebanese distribution agency uh, just for the sake of distributing more widely and uh, for the sake of not having to do this follow-up ourselves. Um, I think that this, this current issue merits that. And this will continue for the rest of your uh, biannual uh, issues or just for this issue four? Uh, I mean, it should. Uh, 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 another one of our favorite magazines called Apartamento Magazine, we've discovered, actually does not work with a distributor. They do all the distribution themselves and they're available at almost every single bookstore that I visit. So we'll see. If it works out with the distribution companies, then we'll definitely continue that. And if it doesn't, then we'll figure out a way to do it ourselves. And um, I know you guys are closer with, with, with Amman Car because a lot of work happening there. But is there any interest for you guys to produce or distribute for the Gulf? Of course. I mean, like the distribution company in Lebanon that we're working with is going to take the magazine to Dubai and to other... It, is, it already is available in Dubai, but I mean, like with the distribution company, it will, uh, it will, it will definitely reach also other cities in the Gulf. I, unfortunately, what I understand is that the Saudi market is going to be difficult to to penetrate through through these uh, distribution companies. But um, otherwise, yes, it will be in the Gulf for sure. Um, so, in the Emirates, I distribute in Dubai. Where do you know the name of the bookshop or design store? The previous issues were available in Dubai at a, a store called Jamjar. Okay. Jamjar um, is actually in Circal Avenue. For those listening, it's a paint. It's a, basically a, a space where people get to paint, do their own paints, and have a lot of cultural and artistic interactions. And they do have a small bookstore over there. Uh, and these were for the old ones or for the new one? No. It, it's for the old ones. Um, and they were also available at Fully Booked. So wherever Fully Booked went, they took Journal Safar with them as well. And so when will, the, when will issue four land in the Emirates? Um, within the next couple of weeks. And will, how, how is that going through censorship, especially the, the drag, drag queen section? 
Uh, we'll let you know when we find out. <laughs> okay, okay, good luck. Otherwise, there'll be a section just cut out of it, I'm assuming. I don't know how, how the Emirates is now with censorship, but let's see, and good luck. And actually, this question is for, for you, Hatem, because going back to what Maya had mentioned your earlier, the earlier magazine you guys had worked on, which is Samandal, which, if I remember correctly, started off something around 2006, because I have about 13 or 14 issues of it. I can't remember now in my, in my collection. I remember how new it was back then, and everyone was like, oh, Arabic comics. Or... So it's, it's great that that happened, and it has even moved on beyond you. So in, in comparisons of distribution and censorship and all the other dramas, because I know you guys had some, uh, some problems with that, how, how, is it, how is it when you compare both? Um, I mean, uh, Samandal has been, you know, like growing very slowly since 2006. And, you know, like it's not until recently that it has, uh, you know, had a big spike in terms of, you know, like a, a really like it has established, you know, like a strong audience, a real following and also a wider distribution. So now, you know, like because members of the, the, the current board are also, you know, like living in Paris. So there's a lot of connection, you know, like with with the different European cities like Paris and uh, and Brussels and etc. And in the last uh, last year's um, uh, Angoulême uh, Comics Festival, which is considered, you know, like one of the most prestigious um, alternative comics festivals in the world, um, uh, the magazine won uh, the first prize for uh, for independent uh, uh, comic. Um, so basically, this is bringing a lot of visibility also to, to to the magazine. And so the path that they took, you know, like has is now, you know, like reaching you know, like a lot of different places. But there is a difference between Samandal and, uh, and like an intrinsic difference between the two is that Samandal is also like registered as, a, as an NGO, as a non, uh, non-profit um, with, you know, like a, a mission statement to spread, you know, like uh, uh, comics and etc. So there, there's a lot of workshops and what have you that are related to it. Our intention from Journal Safar is to... Um, make it it's it's for it to be something that's a little bit more um, accessible and in that sense for it to to function as a magazine you know like as a as a magazine per se not as a specialized you know like a, a, a comic publication a, a quick interruption you just said journal safar and it's it has journal safar on the website but then the magazine is called safar can you just kind of clear that up for everybody i mean at the beginning we called the magazine journal safar it's almost like it's the the journal that Safar produces. Um, and we, you know, like registered this as the name of the website and all of the handles. Um, but we are now interested, you know, like in keeping just the name Safar because this is the, the actual name of, of, the, of the magazine. We're also trying to make a distinction between the past issues being a journal and the current issue and the future ones being a magazine. Okay, okay that, that makes sense. And when you guys, I know you go to a lot of design uh, fairs and things like that around, and I think most recently the the fun one was in Amman, and remember you had a, a, a good showing there, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, yeah, we did participate in Amman Design Week. We showed uh, you know, like some of our work, mm-hmm. some of the logos that we've done, and, uh, and the magazine, and other publications that we've done as well. So, and how do people take that when they come to you in a design fair, and they see the work, and you guys are presenting yourself as a design studio, and then you have this magazine on the side? Is it, uh, do they think it's somebody else's work? Do they understand that it's a standalone? How do you communicate that difference? Usually the magazine is actually the center of the work's presentation. So people approach the magazine and then learn about the studio. And I think that I like it that way. I'd prefer it to be like that. I'd like people to know the magazine before knowing the studio. Okay, that's, that's, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially that there are a lot of 
uh, up and coming and, and pretty decent uh, design studios in and around the, the Arab world that's coming up, especially now that marketing has moved from the larger conglomerate design agencies to smaller hot shops that have this native local idea of what's going on that's spread around the Middle East and, and focuses. So that's a very logical way of, of, of going about it. And now going back to our... I'm sorry I'm asking a lot of questions about distribution, but a lot of times people interacting, especially that we're making our own podcasts and things like that, people are always interested. And I've got... I've recently I've got somebody else asking me about publication. So how do you afford it? Afford it? Yes. We don't. Okay, so do you have... Um, like, first of all, do you even pay your contributors? Um, sorry, Hatem, if, if I may answer this, because I'd like to be as honest and transparent as possible about this, just for the sake of people talking about this, mm -hmm. right? This is not a secret. There's nothing to be ashamed about. The studio um, has, up until now, not gotten any financial help on uh, any of the past issues. For the first time, we've just gotten a grant to produce issue five, which is going to be called Migration. But from issue uh, one to issue four, the studio pays for the printing of the magazine completely. It also pays for the translation of the magazine. So uh, uh, paying for the printing, which usually, uh, I mean, f for people that don't work in design or production, a printing of a magazine usually costs between uh, six to $12,000, depending on the size of your magazine and the quantity. Um, and, and the studio paying for the, for the printing of the magazine itself means that uh, we build a relationship with the printer that we work with, and they allow us to pay them back in installments throughout the entire next year. Um, and this is definitely something worth shedding light on. We don't produce the magazine uh, to make profit because we don't even break even with the cost of the printing. But what we'd like to do for the upcoming issues, in addition to seeking uh, funding, is actually include advertisements. Um, uh, that will be the only way we can afford to sell the magazine for less than what it currently costs in the market, which is 20 US dollars. Um, sorry, 22 US dollars and be able to pay the contributors, uh, and be able to keep working on two issues a year. As a mini summary for everyone out there trying to find a magazine, point one, make friends with designers who know printers so they can help you pay for it installments. Two, know a lot of people who can write and take photographs for free until you guys find sponsorship. And three, do it all yourself. <laughs> That's right. I mean, um, with the grant we just got for the next issue, it's not a huge grant, but you know, it's we're grateful for every penny that the, this this uh, NGO is giving us. Um, we're now able to pay the contributors. It's definitely a symbolic fee. It's a symbolic sum, but uh, uh, it's better than nothing. And when you, when when you did you have to apply to this fund, or is it like one of those cultural things where you, where they only give it to you because of a agreement that they have, or you just knock doors and like, please give me some money? How did that go about? It, it's the latter. We just knocked doors and kept asking and asking and applying and applying and applying until we got one. Okay. We actually sent 15 applications, I think. And are you allowed to tell us who, who gave you? Yeah, of course. It's a German uh, NGO called Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung. Uh, and they have a Beirut office. They're based in Berlin, but they do have a Beirut office. And our agreement with them was that um, the next issue would cover the topic of migration. Okay, so, so that was their theme that they imposed on you, or did it work that the, both themes were similar, that you kind of worked it out? It was that the theme was uh, the, the both parties worked together on an idea that would, that would benefit both parties. And, and you think they would, is, is this, are they somebody that you can depend on for future issues, or is this a one-off thing and you have to redo all this again? 
Um, I mean, I, I didn't even think about reapplying next year to Rosa Luxemburg because ideally I'd like to not have to rely on NGOs for funding. I'd like to be, I'd like the magazine to be self-sufficient. Um, and that's where advertising comes in. And how are you going about to find these advertisers? The same way we did to get funding. We're just going to knock on doors. Okay, good luck, good luck. <laughs> and I guess now that you have to maybe look at it in a different way because, of course, now I'm getting my little background of marketing and things. And so if you're spreading it out in, in Cairo and Amman and the Emirates, uh, then I guess it's, it's easier for you to find some advertising that is, a lot, that is wider than just Lebanon. So hopefully, good luck, maybe a few banks. I mean, we'd also like, of course, to, you know, like the, the I mean, if you if you look at the, the ads that already do exist in the current issue, in issue four, um, they are all of, you know, like initiatives and designers and people uh, that we love and whose work we believe in. So even the advertisements are not going to be, you know, like we're not seeking random kinds of ads that are going to be plastered all over the magazine. They are also going to be curated somehow. And, you know, we are going to be selective about what kind of ads we will, we will show in the magazine. Hatem, let's be fair. At one point, you will say yes and take the money and produce the magazine. Let's all be very transparent in this. I'm happy to be transparent about this. <laughs> so let Hatem dream and you just cuddle. You're like, here's the money. Shut up. Let's just print. Have you had any funny, we get to your other anecdote, but any funny situations that happened within these past years about with contributors or something kind of really random or misunderstandings or drama? So uh, in, this, in the last issue of the magazine, we published uh, an article uh, which was an interview between Paul Holdengraber and RuPaul. It's, I think, the star piece of the article. Um, yes, that's the one with the, a series of photographs from the Lebanese drag scene. Correct. Are we allowed to say Lebanese drag scene? Is it, uh, is it secret? No. It's not, it's not actually. It's, it's, we mentioned it in the, in the intro to that interview. Um, the intro was written by Edwin Nasser, and it contextualizes the interview and the images. And, you know, I mean, you read it and you understand why they're uh, juxtaposed. During the launch of issue four, um, Andrea, who is uh, a drag queen featured in the, that article, approached us and she said, uh, you don't have permission to publish these photos. And I said, what do you mean we don't have permission to publish these photos? Uh, photos of the local drag queen culture. And uh, she said, you don't. And I said, uh, we do actually see what the photographer got consent. And she said, no, he didn't actually get consent for the photos. Um, and so after the launch, we you know, pulled the magazines back out of the distribution centers and away from the shelves of all the bookstores and had a, you know, quite the back and forth for a couple of weeks with the photographer and with um, uh, the drag queens that were featured to try and come up with a solution that didn't mean we had to completely reprint the magazines and pay another uh, 8K or something. Um, and in the end, we, you know, brought the magazines all back to the studio. Uh, we're still in the process of doing this, but what we did is we covered all of the images uh, that were published in the magazine with stickers that have new images of the drag queens. That so, so now it's golf safe. <laughs> it's actually not because there are images of drag queens on top of images of drag queens. The only difference is that the new, uh, the cover-ups are pictures that were chosen by the drag queens themselves. And, you know, we actually have the written consent forms for it. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So if I have one of the earlier magazines, that's kind of a collector's item now? It is, absolutely. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So when is, when is this new, fresh look coming out? 
It's already out, actually. It's available right now in London at Saki Books and in Beirut at Paper Cup. Um, the rest are on their way to the bookstores. So uh, tell us more about the event that you guys had where a lot of these drag queens came. Um, during the day, day drag. Um, it was, you, had, you had talks this time, right? It was, it was unusual to your usual launches, correct? That's right. It's the first time, actually, um, the magazine <clears throat> hosts a series of public talks, and it's also been something that we've always wanted to do. Um, and so for the first time with the launch of the fourth issue, we decided to host a series of public talks. And, you know, we've been in contact with um, Onassis Culture for a while now, and um, we partnered up with them for this event. So they were, you know, very supportive of the magazine, um, the content of the magazine, and they were, you know, up for almost anything we proposed. And um, so they helped us bring Paul Holdengraber to Beirut, um, and it was his first time here, and he really likes it. And let me just give a brief background on Paul. Um, Before you start about Paul, tell us a bit about the Onassis Foundation. How, how did you get in contact with them? Are they Lebanese? I mean, they, they sound Greek, correct? Yeah, the Onassis Foundation is uh, based in Athens, and it's a Greek foundation. Um, it's been there for many, many years, and they uh, a part of a part of what they do, which is Onassis culture, um, promotes um, and supports a lot of uh, uh, cultural events initiatives. Um, and talks. And the last time we were, Hatem and I were in Athens, we attended a talk between uh, Werner Herzog and uh, Paul Holdengraber, and it was like absolutely mind blowing. Um, and we met Aphrodite Panagiotaku, who is the director of culture, um, a year ago or a couple of years ago when she was coming to Beirut um, to meet uh, artists around. She had come to meet Hatem initially. And then I got introduced to her, and uh, they invited us to uh, to Athens to give a um, workshop with the School of Fine Arts of Athens in uh, Hydra. And uh, we did a residency with uh, Onassis uh, Air, Air for Artist in Residence. Um, and then we pitched this idea of partnering up for the launch of the magazine, and they were in. Okay. That's nice. It's awesome to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, and so uh, they flew Paul into Beirut, and it was Paul's first time in Beirut. And, and Paul is the current director of Onassis in LA. Um, previously, he uh, hosted a series of um, of talks uh, for the New York Public Library called "Live from the NYPL." Um, and you know, Paul is a master of ceremony when it comes to things like this. He doesn't do interviews; he hosts talks, and the talks usually bounce back and forth like a ping pong match. And he's, you know, he's just a very, very, very insightful and interesting man. And you know, I was like almost starstruck when I met him the first time, and I couldn't believe it when he came to Beirut. Um, and would you be uh, posting these interviews, uh, these talks? Uh, on your site soon? Yeah, absolutely, actually. So we didn't uh, we didn't uh, record them live for people to watch uh, uh, on real time uh, because they were going to be recorded completely and then available on our website to, to watch. I mean, the point of a public talk is that it's a public talk, mm-hmm. so there's no point in, you know, having this if I can't share it with everyone later on. And the talks were really, really interesting. We brought uh, three speakers, 
besides Paul. Um, one is Anyanese, who is a Lebanese drag queen, um, and uh, Huda Smithausen Abifaris, who is uh, the founder and director of Khat Foundation, and uh, Haytham Nawar, who is a uh, designer and researcher based in Cairo, and he's also uh, head of the design department there in AUC. And, uh, you know, the three of them come from very different backgrounds. Their work and fields are uh, very different from each other. And we thought the combination of the three of them would make a really good lineup. And the talks were really insightful. I mean, they were all uh, on and around design, cultural production, and nostalgia. And each one of them had very, you know, interesting things to say, including Paul. Uh, that's great to hear. So hopefully by the time we post this, you'll have the, we'll have the links up and we'll share them as well. Yes, absolutely. We'll definitely have that. Um, Aphrodite Panagiotako also came herself to the event, which was, you know, really, really nice. Um, and she attended all three talks. And, yeah, hopefully we'll have them online soon and we'll be able to share uh, the conversations with everyone. Brilliant. Okay, now that we've discussed a lot of the distribution, a lot of the information there, and thank you guys for being very transparent with us. The last, the last kind of chunk I want to discuss before we open it up to anything you want to talk about is the social media online interaction now everyone is always about how to advertise how to move how to grow and of course social media is the, the new television the new radio the new everything so how is there a system do you guys do are you working on it working with somebody uh, how do you go about it and, and what have you learned from that again i'm asking all these random technical questions because a lot of people do discuss distribution with us and and, and hopefully someone can take from this and maybe even this younger generation can start with zines themselves and, and move forward to, to create more and more things, especially in Arabic. Um, so one of, one of the, 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 the uh, positive things about being a design studio that's working on this is that we have some know-how in social media. Um, but really what it boils down to in terms of what we communicate on social media, be it um, the magazine's Instagram account and Facebook account or the studio's Instagram and Facebook account, is to really just put ourselves in the place of the viewers and try to think of what type of content would excite us to see on social media. That's, that's really like the, the best advice I could give. Was that your question? Um, I guess so. I mean, I mean, it will always keep changing because the whole kind of uh, landscape of it keeps changing. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm asking more about are there any specific technical things that you've, that you've learned that you add to this because a lot of the work that you do has, is brands or events versus an ongoing cultural experiment because like you said on the website you're going to have a lot of things that aren't going to be in the magazine How is, is your social media just clips and pieces of advertising for the magazine or are there also accompanying elements um, for now, they're just uh, segments that advertise the magazine or the merch. But, um, you know, I think it should develop with time to actually include uh, content that is related to the magazine or content that isn't even included inside the print edition of the magazine but could possibly, you know, uh, take on a form of, or another online. Um, but we, we, I mean, we don't have uh, uh, like, a, like a spec sheet that we follow um, there are no rules that we follow except for knowing when to post. And have, now that it's kind of people interact, have you had any critique, any, any like heated conversations on any of your platforms, or how has that developed? N no, but I can't wait till that happens. Okay. Have you had any critique from any of the pe people who reviewed you from newspapers and things, or how does it go? Because at least for us, when we know when anything comes out, in the Gulf and Emirates specifically, everyone says, oh, it's nice, and then that's it. 
you don't hear anything, you don't hear cultural debate, any conversation about anything, which is why Hind and I had started this kind of podcast, just to actually yank something out of it and discuss and ask questions. So have you been lucky enough? Uh, I mean, like, the, no, we haven't been lucky enough because, I mean, like, this is actually one of the reasons why we started the magazine uh, because there's no, you know, like, there isn't this culture of, you know, people being able to critique constructively or to think, you know, like, to debate certain topics um, in a way that, that, that is constructive or interesting. Um, and yes, as you, as you said, you know, like a lot of the feedback that you get is, you know, like bravo, bravo, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's as far as it goes. And people who do not necessarily agree or they have any kind of like critical point will, will, will keep it to themselves. And I just want to, you know, like pinpoint one particular article in the magazine, which is an interview with Bernard Khoury, uh, the, the architect who in recent years has been, you know, like attacked and demonized uh, so violently on social media particularly um, and being accused of, you know, like destroying Lebanese heritage. The problem is that, you know, like you see this kind of interaction, mm-hmm. you know, with work that's that's been produced, but it's not a real critique that is based on any kind of like knowledge or any kind of like um, research, uh, research yeah. or, or real, you know, like any kind of like base. Um, and this is why we invited uh, Bernard to, uh, to, to contribute to the magazine so, so that for the first time he would have, you know, like a, 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 an elaborate somehow answer to this, you know, like um, uh, what I would say, what, what I would call like chaotic um, and, you know, like kind of um, uh, um, somewhat, um, you know, s- somewhat petty and, and uh, ridiculous uh, 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 rhetoric that, uh, again, I'm not defending uh, uh, Bernard's position, nor am I um, saying that there, there is no be- base to the critique of his work. I think that there is definitely a base to, to the critique of Bernard's work, and, but it, it had to happen in a way where it, it actually is done in a way that, you know, it's, it's a real debate or a real, you know, a conversation where, you know, like it's based on facts, it's based on research, it's based on case studies, etc. And, you know, like I hope that people who will read the article um, will react to it again in the same, you know, on the same level as, as, as this, this, this um, you know, conversation was, was held. And, and the interview was conducted by uh, an architect and a former uh, uh, student of Bernard who is Ghaith Abighanem. All right, that's an, that's an interesting, uh, at least a position where somebody else can, can have that critical conversation with people. So hopefully, until you guys get critique, you'll be able to host a lot of critiques. I'd like to wrap up by uh, you know, inviting uh, the designers who might be listening to this podcast to contribute to the magazine and not shy away from sending us an email or contact, contacting us directly on our Facebook page or our Instagram page. Um, for those interested in actually writing uh, articles that critique or review uh, other designers' works or uh, uh, topics that, that would be of interest to them, um, to write to us. Okay, and uh, where is this? So is it uh, Studio Safar's outlet or Journal Safar's outlet? What are, where can they email you? What's your Facebook? What's your Instagram? Let us all know. They can email us on uh, info at journalsafar.com. They can contact us directly on Instagram via Journal Safar, and they can contact us on Facebook also via Journal Safar. So it's J O U R N A L S A F A R, and the website is journalsafar.com. Correct. Awesome. Um, thank you very much. And uh, uh, as we're saying, with me is Hatem Imam and Maya Mumne. Thank you very much for for uh, talking to us today, and. 
Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Al. And as always, we'd love to hear your comments about our, uh, our interviews. So find us on uh, Twitter at Tea with Culture and Instagram at Tea with Culture. And you can listen to our podcasts for free and download them on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and everything else where you can find podcasts. Goodbye for now.